Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey, you, and welcome back to the School of Unlearning podcast. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are sitting down with a friend of mine, Mark Champagne. A little bit about Mark and his background before we get to the juicy interview. Uh, Mark is a speaker, a facilitator, and a question expert who guides teams to thought-provoking prompts and mental fitness practices that lead to healthier minds, clear thinking, and new opportunities. One of Mark's favorite quotes, which I love, is, ask better questions, get better results. Mark has spent a few decades in the corporate function, also as an entrepreneur, and he most recently published his first book, Personal Socrates, which is a best-selling book profiling iconic thinkers and their own mental fitness practices, such as Kobe Bryant, Maya Angelou, Robin Williams, James Clear, and many more. Mark's also the host of his own podcast. It's called Behind the Human. And on this podcast, he uses conversations to provide inspiration and examples of where and how pointed self-inquiry can help with health, happiness, and performance. I think you're going to really love this podcast. It's a breath of fresh air and helps us all remember that we are only one question away from an entirely different life. Enjoy, my friends. Hey, Mark. Welcome to uh, the School of Unlearning podcast. How are you today? I am 100%. I'm excited to be here with you and just have a, a rocking conversation. Yeah, we have like a, we have a hundred topics, hundred questions to get into. I have your yeah. book in front of me, Personal Socrates, which will be um, doing some uh, some sort of giveaways for our audiences when your episode comes out. Um, and uh, I'm so happy to have you all for season two. I know we have a, a mutual friend in Claude Silver who is on season one. She has great things to say about you. So um, I'm I'm stoked to hear and share your life story, which is sort of a, a big task. But I think in our <laughs> We can, we can I just got nervous. Yeah, no, no, you're fine. Um, so, you know, obviously on the School of Unlearning, this is a podcast where we explore sort of deconstructing and uh, breaking down beliefs and, again, um, sort of social constructs that we've been given. You know, when, we're, when we enter this world, we take a deep breath. And before we take our fifth or sixth breath, maybe even before that, we have a whole identity planned out for us. You know, we have... Mm. Um, a religion. We have a maybe our parents are sports fans. We already have our, our sports gear picked out in our you know baby room. So we're born into culture. We're born into norms, and some of that is really important for us to be shaped as humans, for us to have a sense of belonging. Um, but somewhere along the line, we do have to kind of deconstruct and un unpack and unlearn a lot of the things that we're given, whether it be do we root for the Giants or you know something a little bit more serious, which is you know, um, who do we want our romantic partner really to be, not what our parents want. So there's all kinds of unlearning that happens. Um, before we get into what you're currently unlearning in your body of work with personal Socrates and mental fitness, I'd love to figure out um, what you were given when you came into this world. What were some core learnings and core influential people that shaped your worldview at a young age? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, what comes to mind is just, I, I was given the the luxury or the opportunity of having loving parents and and being in an environment that you know was safe that was encouraging and you know just gave me the best shot I guess of of taking on life and seeing where everything unfolds and so forth and and, and I know that's a, a privileged place to come from because you know obviously, uh, just in my own circle, immediate circle, I know that that's not always the case, right? Yeah. And you know, it's 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 sad because especially when you're you're like you said, you're born into that, right? And everyone deserves a fair shot, right? Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, I'm really grateful to to have uh, loving parents and and parents that really motivated me and supported me and and really anything I wanted to do and and so forth. Um, and then I also like someone that comes to mind, actually, I, th this realization really only came up through talking about the book since it's been out because there was a, there's an uncle and aunt in my life that 
uh, I'm still very close with, but I used to leave the the smaller town that I was born in and, and, and travel to Toronto, Canada, uh, our biggest city in the country, to, to spend the summers with this, this aunt and uncle. And they it was just a different feeling or a different environment because i came from a very kind of blue collar town type thing and just like a lot of unions and it was a mining town and it was just a different vibe whereas you, know, you come to toronto it's you know busy and it's city and it's business and and they were both uh in in the business world and sales and marketing and, and so forth mm-hmm. and it was just it gave it gave a, a different lens to the world to see what wow there's a lot out there that i just i didn't see just growing up where where i was at and my uncle in particular used to take me for these early morning coffees like like 5 30 5 in the morning like and as a kid i mean that's not i get up at that time now but i remember you know just yeah just getting you know shook and awake and we're going for a hot chocolate or something at a young age and he just used to ask me all these questions like have you called your grandmother lately? Like, what, you know, what are you doing? You know, who are you being kind? Like, what's exciting you? Just all these different questions. And I share that because having just written a book and, and really dedicating, I guess, my energy towards helping people find their questions and, and curating and, and collecting questions for essentially a decade now, that initial spark of curiosity and the power of questions i think came from him at a very young Mm -hmm. age Mm -hmm. Uh, so anyway it's been really i mean i'll have to share this episode with him uh when it's out because it's it's not something that i've ever reflected on i knew Mm -hmm. that there were elements like you know from the business perspective uh that inspired me to, to go down that path but the curiosity which i think our curiosity is really, I mean, we're born curious. We, we you wouldn't learn yeah. how to walk if you're not curious, right? right. Uh, and taking chances and, and so forth. Um, but then we lose that often as we go through life and, and so forth. And as you know, there's there's probably a, a ton of different reasons, but that to, to be given that gift of curiosity uh, at a young age in, in a different light, I, I just, I really, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, that seems like a really pivotal sort of, experience and moment for you it sounds like your worldview just really expanded and your capacity to see beyond what where you were or was influenced then i have to ask did you drink coffee at a young age or were you just like no yeah well we were just at the coffee shop i i I, he would he would buy me a hot chocolate uh at that age yeah i wasn't sure if like it was a one-time thing or i was like i'm always curious like again these days kids drink a lot of coffee and it's something that was so foreign to me so yeah. Um, but either way, the the environment and the atmosphere obviously created a space and a special sort of influence in your life. Um, yeah. And so when you when when you were young, were you also sort of moving through your schooling years thinking that way, where you were a very curious and you know um, driven person? I mean, your book Personal Faculties is really a look at you know obviously the the core questions and the best mental fitness practices of some of the most world-class performers were you always interested in that type of excellence growing up like watching them observing the greats uh were you always sort of wondering what was their recipe yeah not always i mean i i was always driven and very goal-oriented in the sense that again coming back to those summers in the city uh then all of a sudden i had goals of okay i want to go to school i'd like to get into business and marketing communications like that was just something of interest and I had set intentions and goals and vision that's when I first started using these vision boards and just putting you know photos of things that uh not necessarily for a materialistic standpoint but more of the feeling that would go along with uh Mm -hmm. achieving something for example and and to to spark up those feelings excuse me so it started there but then after where where things really became kind of next level in terms of studying you know top thinkers and, and inspiring humans was after university when i first started in the corporate world i started in sales and i remember at that time we were all hired or they, they would hire people in batches essentially and you know there'd be i don't know 30 or 40 people or or more hired and then flown out in this case flown out to montreal to to the head office uh, of that company and we're there for like three four weeks being trained and i, re- I just remember thinking 
okay, we're all being trained essentially in the exact same way or given the same education, if you will. Yeah. How possibly, especially in a sales function, can I perform at the top or or ahead of, of others or, or perform at my best if we're all doing the same thing? And that, and maybe this is coming from my uncle uh, as well, I started getting up earlier in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I got up earlier, it started maybe 15, 20 minutes, but I started reading and consuming content that was positive, inspirational, and motivating. And that was it. The, the, the rule was it had to be something that primed my mind for the day and that I was learning. And yeah. that's when it became yeah. very apparent quite quickly that no matter who I was reading about, um, who was being profiled or whatever the scenario was, the, the thing that was a hundred percent consistent in those scenarios that all of those people were taking time to think and they were taking time for their mind to just mm. pause and ask good questions. Yeah. So I started writing down those questions and then I would journal on those questions in my next session the next day. And I would journal on them based on where I was at in my life. And I just mm -hmm. kept doing that over and over again. And I mean, it, it's, it's funny between that and at that time in my life as well, I was really into photography personally. Uh, and I only share that because photography has given me this, uh, I, I consider it a huge gift of always seeing a photo somewhere, you know, right. always seeing the light or, or the composition or, or the framing which is just presence, right? Mm -hmm. It allows you to, so the, with the combination of that presence and the curiosity from the, the journaling practice that I was doing over and over again, I really, I didn't think about it at that time because I did that for 12 years in the corporate space and it was just helping me personally. But right. the work I do now, that was the basis for sure, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah, that's so interesting. I also love how those things happen. Like, you know, you're, you're preparing for one thing, but really you're shaping another career and you're shaping not just a career, but again, your worldview, your sense of uh, your lens in which you see things unfold. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really cool testament in sort of going the extra mile at a very young age and, and sort of knowing intuitively that like this 15 minutes will help me. And I don't know exactly how yet, but I have to pursue it. I have to see what it yeah. does. And so I'm curious, what were some of the questions that you found early on in that period of your life when you were training for sales in the corporate world? What were some of the questions that really kind of blew your mind, really just like made you shift like met by many degrees and how you uh, problem solved and how you related to people and how you saw the world? Well, it's hard to bring. Uh, there's been so many questions that that have come through or circulated through. And I, I really believe the you know, a quality question, what makes up a quality question is, is the timing and the, and the relevance uh, of that question in our lives right now. So it's hard to remember back, you know, in those times, which questions I can give the themes though. And the themes that I'll never forget were, were kind of, I think two big ones, one being questions that would help prime my mind almost from a visualization perspective because if i was going in later after sales i was doing a lot of presentations as a product manager to full teams and so forth and i remember through that morning training a lot of the stuff that i was picking up was well how do i want the people on the other side of the conversation to feel after mm -hmm. i'm done delivering that that keynote or that strategy session or workshop like whatever it was yeah and that was a big one because i remember just thinking okay, that's, that's really interesting. Like I, I can draw the parallel to, you know, we hear it all the time with Olympic athletes visualizing the, the downhill ski run or whatever, right. And mapping yeah. it out. But what about in my day-to-day -day kind of work, right. And just setting that intention. And then I started to see it. I start, instead of going into a presentation that would normally make me nervous or whatever, um, I would, again, I tap into that visualization. And usually when I would talk to people after and ask like, oh, did you enjoy it? Those sentiments would come back. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a really big one. And then the other big one, and I cover this quite a bit in the book as well, because it's still something, especially right now with everything going on in the world is the idea of stoicism and what's within our control in mm -hmm. any situation. Right. Mm -hmm. We often, often, and, and I'm guilty as well, because those, those, 
narratives of the things that are outside of our control that we hang on to feel very, very real, right? They mm-hmm. spark all the emotion to kind of pull, pull us off track. But I remember, you know, in those early, early sessions, there were a lot of prompts and readings around the idea of just pausing. Again, this is where the questions come in because they give you the luxury of the pause, right? right? Before just rolling into the day and getting caught up in, in, because we're all going to have the events, like things are always going to happen. Yeah. But that early morning training with just like, just like an athlete, I mean, you're not, you're not trying new things during the marathon or the, or the, the bobsled ride. I mean, you're relying on the training before that. So for me, I was relying on that morning training, knowing that in the day, an email would come or meeting would take place and I would get rocked emotionally, but able to just pause and and kind of zoom out and ask those questions internally. Okay. Well, where do I need to focus? What's it, what's within my control? What's one Mm -hmm. step I can take to, you know, get to the other side of this, for example. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love the parallels to, you know, athletics. Um, I mean, I was a former athlete. I still play a little bit, but I'm not like, you know, uh, it's not my full-time job, thank goodness. Um, but what, I played, what was the sport? I played high school and college basketball. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I yeah. played a lot of basketball as well. Yeah, I mean, ball is life as far as I'm concerned. I still play a couple nights a week with my uh, team and friends around the neighborhood. Oh, awesome. But um, yeah, you know, it is sort of like, I remember at a very young age with the idea of sort of mental fitness and preparation of like, I remember, you know, I was like, if I shoot 100 more shots than my my friends who are playing and competing for the same position or my teammates on, you know, I, I, if I shoot a hundred more shots or if I just stay in the gym for 10 more minutes, even these small little games, I knew mentally I was going to be more confident when I showed up. Cause like nobody, yeah. nobody in that little community growing up in New Jersey was outworking me. So that yeah. was a really, that was a really big moment. And no one really told me explicitly, you know, I might've heard through marketing about Michael Jordan and Alan Iverson, how they put in extra hours, but from a very young age, it just made a lot of sense that that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes to prepare and even visualize and think was going to pave the way for being in flow state and being in performance um, in, in the sure. way that I wanted to. So I love that you make that connection um, in your work as well. Um, I wanted to ask you a few of the people who you interviewed. Um, I, I know most of them like from distance. Some of them I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same thing for me. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm just curious about like, were there any sort of interviews or people you sat down with where their questions and the ways that they like paused and embraced the pause and asked certain questions, were there any that stand out to you or that brought out like new questions or new insights to, um, to help shift the way you show up in the world? Yeah. I mean, there were, there, there's two profiles, profiles uh, at least in this conversation that, that come to mind that I think are really relevant uh, one being Marcus Aurelius, uh, you know, well-known emperor of Rome and obviously, uh, you know, his, his, his book meditations essentially is his journal. So in terms of journaling and the practice, it's been around for almost the beginning of time. And I think I'll come back to his, uh, because I think his really relates well to what you're saying about how, when we're born, we're born into a certain set of beliefs and religion and all of this stuff. Um, and what I what I got out of writing that profile or doing the research with with uh, on his life was that we often don't pause to think if those beliefs and those even rituals or like kind of what we we're born into whether they still make sense for us based on now that we have our own set of experiences and expectations of of life and and desires and so forth but often we just continue to move. You know, we just continue on the same path and don't question. And it's not it's not a bad or 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 good scenario. It's just is this are these beliefs, are these systems um, the best in terms of getting me to where I want to be, for example. And I never I didn't I never thought about that in in deep reflection until writing that profile because i was i was there's so many different angles you can go with with someone like marcus aurelius and stoicism obviously um but i really was trying to figure out well here's someone that led rome in i mean we're always in challenging times but if you, you start looking at the times that he was there i mean millions of people were dying from plagues and so forth so maybe i mean maybe we're not too far off these scenarios um 
Um, but then there were, you know, these, these massive wars as well, again, that would last years and years. And, and he was leading those teams. It was during a time where, you know, I think he had 13 of his, his children die. Um, I, I mean, we can't even fathom that as, as, as parents, uh, of, of today, if you, if you lose a yeah. child, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just so, so I started asking the question before even writing the profile, how did he mentally do it? Like how, how can you process that level of, of trauma and decisions and just events and, and still be talked about today, for example, and studied, for example, like what was, what was his secret and the thing at least from my perspective, that come came came to uh, came to light was that he relied on a a rock solid or bulletproof belief system mm-hmm. for him that worked for him and you know and mm-hmm. on his side obviously a lot of that had to do with with his religion and stoicism so yeah. you know it, that that's where the, the the opening prompt came uh, from from his profile was just to understand okay well what belief systems are are in check for our lives and do they are they supporting what we want or, or, or pushing us farther away? Are they mm-hmm. kind of expired in the sense of uh, how we've evolved over the years versus when we were born into these things? So, yes. so it was interesting. Like for me, I think we talked, we touched on it a little bit just with your opening question, but for me it was just the, 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 the main three systems were to, you know, just treat people kindly and, and, and deliver that kind of that energy, which I got from, my parents and upbringing and then stoicism. Uh, I was introduced to, to that from someone else in the book, Ryan Holiday, and have, have been going down that journey for years now, but that, you know, that's recent. That's within probably the last 10 years. Right. Um, but it's a huge, it has forms a huge foundation of, of my belief system. And then the other, the last one for me is just the idea of, of like energy and the energy that we put into uh, our thoughts and our beliefs and our actions uh, actually do have an impact on the results and so forth. So just trying to really be conscious of when I have a narrative that that loops or, or fires up to just pause it and think, okay, either this is going to drag me down to a place that I don't want to go, or I can pause it, release it or reframe it or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. I have that power to do that. So yeah. yeah. Those are great that profiles. was a big one. Yeah, that's, like, that's, I mean, you can go, I mean, like with each, each person you interviewed, you could have gone a million different directions and sort of down different pathways to bring out, you know, some of their gems. And I mean, you really, um, you really highlighted not only their body of work in a concise way, but also in a way that was very actionable, you know, so each person I was reading through, I was like, okay, like, hadn't thought about it like that. There was a whole chapter on expectations, which I thought was really important, how expectations can cause so much drama, you know, um, and yeah, even and our relationships. Yeah. Everything, everything, you know, yeah. we expect so much and like, but we haven't communicated that we expect that, you know, mm-hmm. and then especially in the workplace, it's like everyone yeah. has expectations of everyone. But most of them are never communicated or agreed upon. And so then you just get into like, you know, work drama. Um, yeah. I'm curious. I want to go back to life growing up for you. I mean, as you think about it, maybe now or in the moments as, sort of these pivotal turning points that we have very, very young in our teens and early twenties, were there any sort of like turning points in your life that were both joyful, traumatic, and, or sort of like the, um, there was unlearning happening in the background, but you didn't know about it. So were you, were you unlearning or deconstructing beliefs that were given to you at a young age? Um, were you rumbling with things like, well, cause beliefs are so important and they do shape our behavior and our values in many ways. So do you remember sort of rumbling with any beliefs at a young age or even these days? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, I want to default to saying that my unlearning is, is more recent and it links to just starting this journaling app and, and the fact that, you know, it was successful in a lot of different ways uh, in terms of reaching, you know, nearly 90 million people, then I had to delete it mm-hmm. um, in that business. And that caused a lot of trauma, but I feel like, that's probably a bit of a cop out on your question because as I'm building a, essentially a new business or ecosystem around mental fitness and products and, and and offerings and so forth to help people with these prompts, what I'm what I'm unlearning, I think, from my childhood is that the idea of how to take big leaps 
or risks, especially financially as well. Because I, again, I grew up in a very stable uh, environment where it was very much, you know, my mom worked at the bank for her whole career, had a pension and benefits and all of that. My dad worked at the mine, same thing, pension benefits, all of that. I mean, I remember when I decided to leave the the healthcare space in the corporate world, they're like, what are you doing? I mean, right. right? I had all of that stuff and I was, I was on a good track. I mean, I wasn't leaving a job that I didn't like. Um, and I left. And then even to this day, uh, my mom and my dad has since passed, but my mom uh, still doesn't really understand what I do, yeah. for example, yeah. right? Like she understands yeah. that I wrote a book that that's helped the app. The app thing was way out in left field for her, but the book yeah. she can understand because she can hold it. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to unlearn this idea of certainty or stability maybe mm -hmm. is, is probably where I'm at and that it's okay actually not to always you know, have that, for example, because if I think about it, I wouldn't even be speaking with you or have a book or a, a, a well-performing podcast had I not taken the leap out of that corporate world right. and actually created that business that, you know, financially failed, but succeeded. And I'd say 80 plus percent other areas of, of, of my journey, for example. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, I wish I can give more detail on that, but, but it's actually something I've been journaling on recently. So I feel like I'm starting to just kind of uncover that from a, from a, probably a belief system and, and so forth of just mm -hmm. knowing that I have this bit, you know, a whole bunch of savings or something like that's not my case, for example, but that's how mm -hmm. it was grown or yeah. sorry, uh, raised, I should say from what, from my parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really resonate with that. And I think a lot of people listening do because a lot of people uh, who follow this podcast are, you know, in the health space or they're they're in the corporate space or education space, but they're very, you know, spiritually minded and uh, reflective and um, they're constantly seeking and constantly trying to figure out, you know, how they can make sense of the external world that we see and sometimes that we've been given and yeah. how we operate and evolve in it. So um, I think that'll probably be something you're rumbling with for some time, but I'd love to hear where you land. Yeah. Well, it's also living without regret because if I think of the those early mornings and studying, and especially with writing the book and the podcast, I mean, that's the other big theme is just you know going for it and not and not living a life of regret. That's why I decided to to start that app because, it, like I said, it wasn't to 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 run away from a job that I didn't like. It was that you know what I have had this idea for so long. If I don't do it, I I'm probably going to regret not doing that. But when you when you take those big leaps, there's there's another side of that, obviously, right? Where there's a lot of there's risk potentially, yeah. right? You can mitigate obviously as much as you can, but it's very different from the world that I was brought up in, for example. Right, right. When I left uh, the health tech company that I was at for five years, my mom was like, "I don't understand. Why would you do that? Like, you have yeah. benefits, you have this, like, you know." Um, there's an office to go to and, you know, I'm like, yes. And, you know, um, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to evolve at some point and take risks and try new things. And I think that, you know, well, I'm 37, but like our parents, that, that generation really did not take a lot of risk. There was, you know, even diversity of product. I mean, there was one ketchup, there was one mayonnaise, there was yeah. two companies that gave you bread. If you got a job, you stayed and you stayed as long as you probably could. So yeah. I think they live through different things, right? We're the same age. So, I mean, they just, they live through different eras that we didn't yeah. live through. I think yeah. it, that's the only way I can explain it. <laughs> yeah. What I also think too, um, it's funny as you're, as you're interviewing these people in, in your book, Personal Socrates, a lot of these um, sort of icons and people are, some, some are deceased and some like Marcus Aurelius are well deceased, but the idea of, you know, questions and the idea of obviously Socrates the idea of personal and mental fitness is not a new concept in many ways. It's obviously innate in us. That's what we do. We wake mm -hmm. up and we ask questions. Um, so I'm curious if uh, I want to ask you a question around curiosity. You said that it's like the baseline for, for mental fitness in some ways and for being able to explore and to evolve and to grow. Do you see curiosity as a skill? Do you think it's a skill that we can learn and then we can practice or would you see it more as like an emotional state? Yeah. Oh, that's a, wow. You threw that little last piece in there. I like that. Um, I definitely, 
I definitely think it's a skill because, and the person that comes to mind when, when saying that is, is one of, one of the people in the book called, uh, his name is Naveen Jain. And uh, one of the, well, you probably came across his work when you're, when you were in your, uh, your, your previous job, given mm-hmm. his work in the, in the microbiome and gut and so forth. But I mean, his philosophy is that anything that is learned can be unlearned, which uh, obviously you, you resonate with. And I yeah. think, you know, we're all born curious, right? Again, we're all born asking questions. And usually it's somewhere through the education system where you start seeing hands going down uh, mm-hmm. when, when questions are asked, for example, and there's a whole host of reasons, but, you know, we're human, we don't want to be judged, we don't want to feel embarrassed and so forth. And so all of a sudden, that curiosity muscle starts losing, losing its power until we need it at its max. And usually that is a point in life where we hit a wall of some sort. And then yeah. we start asking those big life questions again. Right. So that's actually my, my goal is actually to, to, to remove some of that gap and, and say, okay, well, how at the youngest, like, how can we stay curious? Because we're going to get back there. It's just, I, I, I haven't interviewed anyone um, yet on the podcast or for the book where that curiosity either remained just as high or it came back in some capacity mm-hmm. because when you're curious it comes back to that whole and i again i haven't drawn this this connection until on on your show with you but when you're curious you're also present right and chip conley talks about that in his profile um the most curious person in the room is also the most present and you know i think of the photography example then obviously the, the morning coffees and the and the questions and stuff like that when you combine those things um you just start seeing the path yeah you start whether yeah. that's your work or your personal life all of a sudden you know it's the hell yeses versus oh, i'm not sure like this is a line i'm not i'm not yeah. i'm not 100 percent there but when you're asking the questions to clear out all that mental fog from just daily life and and, and relationships that may not be serving us or whatever like the, the the things that we all have to deal with then all of a sudden you know it's it's there the clarity is there so yeah. to train that though is just just like like anything else, right? Like when you're sitting there practicing, you know, three point shots. I mean, it's that repetition, yeah. or at the foul line, right? Like, like you're, it's the repetition of practicing that then you start really nailing it. Well, yeah. it's the same, right? It's the same thing if we're spending ten minutes in the morning asking ourselves questions and getting clear and looking for questions to spark that curiosity. Then when the day shows up and we're looking, we're putting together brand strategy or we're mm-hmm. working on the next big, whatever you're working on, all of a sudden you start seeing the questions you start yeah. seeing the detail, right? Yeah. I mean, I think also too, what's interesting about this idea of like being present is like, you know, when we are in a state of threat and fear, which is to say most of the time, <laughs> Yeah, yeah we are in a state of threat or fear, whether we recognize it or not, we are, it's our primal limbic brain. It's how we're supposed to stay alive and stay sharp. We, um, we are more in a predictive phase of energy. We're more likely to sit and to be like, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. That's not going to happen. This is what I need to have. And this is definitely what I don't need to have. And what we're doing then obviously from a space of fear and protection. And it's almost like, it's not even asking people to get curious by like, just getting curious. It, it is truly getting present. So can you get yeah. can you get out of the fear and the threat to get present? Once you are, then you might be able to like open up one question like by 25 degrees and see where that might take you. Like, oh, this presentation may not go well. Can I prepare for it not going well? So there's this whole sort of energetic space. It's a little bit of the work I do in conscious leadership coaching, which is just moving people from fear to presence to, to love, which is a space of curiosity. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the reason why to your point in your book is such an important tool actually in, uh, in, in the corporate world and also whoever reads it, but like, you know, we do need leaders who, who are willing to be wrong, who actually look forward to being wrong, who actually look forward to having their mind blown. Like what? I never yeah. thought about that. Like, and that takes a lot of vulnerability, which is of course something that I also think is a skill and you need to cultivate, but I'll stop there. But I just had a, a couple thoughts around sort of tying that up with, moving from fear and that, that, that this is a skill, you know? Yeah. Well, I think first though, is just ignore because you're to your point. I mean, we're unfortunately living 
in fear most of the time, right? Just with so much, what so much going on, and then everything related to uh, like social media and all of that. Like we're just we're being hijacked all the time. That if you leave yourself on default mode, it something's going to happen. Like disease is going to set in. You're not going to be thinking clearly. It's just it's inevitable if you don't stop. Just like if you walk into a supermarket and don't pay attention to what how you're flowing through the store your cart's going to end up with a ton of processed garbage food right yeah. and the, the the longer that goes inevitab- inevitably disease is going to set in cuz we're not you know we're we're <laughs> we're designed to consume actual food not you know fake food so it's i i really think it's the same thing with our minds so if we don't consciously take some time to slow down and reframe and train so that we can see okay i'm in that fear state i'm in that survival state for whatever reason it's probably not because our life our life is in in danger but it's something that happened but if we can acknowledge it pause it and then potentially either rechannel it or release it and get back into a creation state where we're motivated inspired and excited yeah. I mean, that's where we feel our best. That's where we do yeah. our best work. We feel right? big. We have big energy, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and this is where this is why I'm so obsessed with questions, because I really think that we're we're always one question away from a completely different life. That's the big statement. Yeah. But we're also always one question away from a completely different mood or mindset. Right? Mm-hmm. We just need a gratitude question quickly. Who can I celebrate right now? Who can I send a message right now to say just thinking about you, thanks. When you're in the middle of something that's really rocking your mind from, I don't, you know, upsetting you or whatever, like it, it cuts it immediately. Yeah. One of the questions I love, I'd love to hear too in a few minutes. I'd love to know some of your core questions when you're stuck, like in a rut and you're just like hamster wheel and <laughs> everything feels heavy yeah. and bad and stuck energy and like lots of projections are going on. Uh, by the way, if you're listening, this is this is also normal to have that experience. It's called being human. Yeah. Um, but I would one of the questions I love, which I, I ask myself a lot when I feel a stuck energy or a sense of like like this inertia, right? Like what is going on? Um, is what am I withholding? You know, what am I holding back from myself or from the people around me? What am I not saying? And I find time and time again, you know, I don't have a book, but I, I journal, I write a little bit, I, you know, post on social media and stuff. But every single time I do, and I'm in enough of a present state to write and put pen to paper or to say the thing, I just feel like my energy goes from being like this to just big and expansive and free. And I don't feel stuck anymore. And so I find that what am I withholding and what or what needs to be said? is uh for me the biggest energy management shift technique i have um beyond yeah. like going for a run you know so uh yeah. that's what just popped up for me but i was just curious if you had others that work for you yeah i i i do i mean probably in this in the same vein and i would say even like going for a run or any of the exercise like i've all i i really like to stack these practices on top yeah. of each other and ask the prompts while going for a run or uh i've been really obsessed with peloton spins these days so that automatically gets me in a in a a positive state but the questions that i i tend to default to when in you know moments where i feel like there's just a lot of decisions or a lot going on and and i'm unclear and it just feels overwhelming right or there's anxiety there um is are usually prompts that just check in and it's what am i hearing you know or what am i pretending not to know in yeah. this scenario we often know the answer to these things but we just like it's oh it's in the back corner there we're kind of just keep that yeah. tucked away over there but that, that's probably where we need to go and in those check-ins though i list it all out i i, I try to release my mind of, of, of everything that's coming up and get it on a page or in front of me sometimes i'm typing this as well um and then then i i kind of cross check that with my vision and what i'm trying to build whether that's personally or professionally or my goals or whatever like whatever the whatever time i spent before getting clear on who i am and who i'm striving to be and what that looks like that whole kind of uh that whole exercise i think you have to get clear first before you can start making changes and get to that point where you can see the opportunity like you have to understand that um when I put those two together, then it's a real fast, okay, like this doesn't matter. I don't know. I shouldn't be directing energy here because it's not supporting what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Right. 
and that that you that could be for work that could be for your health that it, it can be for anything right but again what often happens and, and i'm guilty of this, uh, of this as well but often we we miss those signs and then all of a sudden it starts to get real stressful and then things just keep compounding all of a sudden like your shoulders and your neck hurt and it's like oh i need a massage well there's usually something that's driving yeah. that tension right so i think it's just again the more and for for us it seems like it's journaling and exercise and so forth but there's just so many different practices that i encourage people to to, to be open and experiment with breath work or meditation or just silent walks or whatever it is yeah. whatever you know will put a smile on your face and that you can you can reach into that toolkit at a moment's notice and know that yeah if i go for a run or do a spin class that's gonna that's gonna pull me out of whatever i'm in and or the other side of things because instead of just being always on the uh, kind of on the negative where we're feeling down but when i need that burst of creative thinking or thinking that doesn't have any rules or limitations set behind it like what's going to put my mind in that open awareness kind of state, right? To, to, to think at that level. Yeah. And again, that's where I think a lot of questions uh, can happen. Going back to Naveen Jain, uh, he has a lot of really great statements around just imagine if, mm -hmm. and then you finish mm -hmm. that sentence and write it out, right? Imagine yeah. if yeah. Uh, this was possible or, or if this happened and immediately you're, you're thinking from a perspective that, isn't in a box of limitations which mm -hmm. we're always you know we're always kind of conforming to rules and regulations and that oh this is possible or this isn't possible anything's possible yeah yeah right i think um that you, you're kind of hitting upon like how can we get into a state where we can ask questions and think bigger and get out of our sort of small narrow tunnel vision um yeah. you know I, i'm really happy that uh, obviously you wrote this book, but you do a lot of work too with organizations around mental fitness and this idea of getting teams and organizations to be one question away or just, you know, different mental fitness techniques away from uh, better team chemistry, obviously better mental health. And the outcomes we know are important, like efficiency, performance, revenue, retention. Cool. Like that's awesome. Plus one. But what we really care about yeah. here is developing humans. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the work you do in corporations and, and with teams and how you weave in the concepts of questions and mental fitness for them. Yeah, well, it, I'm glad you set it up in that capacity because I, I think I think we finally are evolving past, you know, having to present like, oh, this this training or this talk or th this, you know, this, this experience is going to boost your productivity by 55% and reduce yeah. your turnover. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, like my, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at, at this point. So for me, like, I, I'm not even speaking to an organization if I have to sell on that. My, my first usually opening line is, you know, think about the last time that you were really sick and you couldn't go in and you couldn't work uh, or and you tried. I mean, what level of output did you get out of that experience? You know, it, 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 first of all, you don't feel well. And secondly, you're definitely not thinking at your best. So just keep that in mind. If we can help everyone in the organization feel good and thrive, then all of that stuff you're concerned about is going to happen by default, right? And yeah. you're going to have happy people. So, you know, once that's agreed upon and we don't have to have that conversation, then for me, it just becomes uh, down to the idea of it's really hard to do our best thinking and do our best work when our minds are not clear. Yeah. And I've seen... I've seen this play out through the podcast and all the interviews, and it's definitely why the book is structured in the way it is, because we, again, we, we have to understand, and you've done a really good job kind of unpacking this in this interview, but we have to understand where we came from, right? And I talk a little bit about that through different profiles like Picasso and, and Jane Austen to leverage their, their life and their work to see, okay, well, who were the characters in our story up until this moment? Yeah. And, and not that they're bad or good, but where, you know, where did we come from? What formed who we are right now? Yeah. And then understand, okay, do, do I feel like I'm at the place where I want to be? And if the answer is no, um, where, where is that place? Then it becomes, you know, because then we're clear on what we're doing. And it's no different in any business, right? There's always objectives. And we do that often in business. Okay, we're here and we want to get to this point, whether that's, 
financial objectives or brand awareness, like whatever it is, right? But understanding clearly where we're at and where we're heading, then it just becomes what's in between there. And and, and just to, to borrow some language from, from James Clear, who's also in the book, is just, am I climbing the right mountain, right? Because it, it can feel like we're we're doing the right things from a work perspective. It can feel like we're doing the right things from a personal perspective and it feels busy and we've got a lot going on. Our calendars are full, but if we're climbing the right, the wrong mountain and we should be kind of an inch over, then that effort is essentially wasted. Right. And that's what I try to do with, with teams and organizations is first help people get clear so that then they understand where they're going. And then they can, we can do a bit of an audit of, okay, well, so where, you know, where might I be playing it safe or Mm -hmm. what actions or what initiatives uh, do I need to take to support this, for example? But, you know, usually like the days are just too busy. This goes back to everything that that I believe in or everything I've studied, you know, in those early mornings, taking time to think. So for me, it's just, it, I, you know, I try not to, to make it complicated, and keep it as simple as possible because essentially I'm just trying to give people the luxury of a pause because yeah. they have all the answers. And it's a luxury. It's just, in, right? in that, like, you know, you said earlier, like our attention is not ours anymore. And you said it in different words, but it's like, we're constantly yeah. down the rabbit hole. You open up your phone and you're in a vortex of like, you know, you could be in totally. South on someone's reel in like a minute totally. or, you know, and so I think, you know, um, I'm a big Mary Oliver fan. I don't know if you follow her poetry. She's no. a thinker and naturalist and poet. Um, and she says, okay. she one of her favorite, my favorite lines of hers is just that attention is the beginning of devotion. You know, just oh, our yeah. attention. And I think organizations, you know, thankfully to your point, are kind of coming around from the like, we have to do work about the work to prove that bringing in this expert is going to help us improve retention by 2%. Like people aren't really thinking like that. If they are, they're a little bit, they've missed the memo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They you missed a few. You can't actualize yeah. and like over, um, over uh, architect, you know, human well-being in the workplace in that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious, you know, when you do work with teams and leaders and, you know, again, going back to curiosity, like, Asking questions requires a lot of courage. It requires presence. It requires. It also requires a lot of vulnerability because to ask mm-hmm. a question means that you have you have removed yourself. If if you're not like planning on just saying yes in the background to your original idea, it removes the idea that you um, have all the data that you are the person. In, it removes you from being in control. And so, yeah. I think questions actually are a very very vulnerable thing that um, are are not embraced by people so how do you find that leaders and teams embrace questions if they don't have vulnerability in the workplace or psychological safety in the workplace and then do you foster those when you work with them yeah no i mean that's those are great points i mean uh, i think of a question like uh you know am i happy you know and depending on how you can either answer yes or no and if you're answering no i mean that's a scary it's a one word answer, but either yeah. you can decide to, to do something with that or not. Right. And that's a tough one. So for when it comes to teams and especially introducing these concepts, like my, it's like, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, but it's not like I'm inventing questions. I'm not inventing the practice of, of journaling, which is reflection. Uh, forget just pen to paper or apps or anything like that. Journaling is just reflection. And yeah. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do it is through good quality questions. Um, I try to warm up the group with w- just lighter questions and just getting people like, for example, there's a few sessions I have in January and yeah. just asking, you know, what's what's your one word for this year? Like, what's the theme? How do you want to show up every day? Like, what 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 is that feeling that you want to, to, to embody every day? And just get people, you know, in that state of, again, coming out of the fear and, and oh, what's going to happen here into, wow, that's inspiring. I'm, I'm motivated. Like, I want to feel great this year. or I want to really connect or be present, for example. And everyone's different, right? And just getting them slowly started with kind of opening type questions and doing that in uh, groups of two. You know, so it's not just, you know, big group and everyone's uh, yelling out words and whatnot, but just 
getting a little bit more intimate with a colleague and, and sharing that and, and connecting, yeah. right, as humans. Yeah. Um, and then usually the sec, and then the the thing I love most about my job and, and even just writing the book and, and all of this is that uh, I get the luxury of curating the narratives behind the practices. So mm-hmm. you probably notice, I mean, there's a, a very diverse group of, of people and type of work and so forth in the book. And that's, that's done by design because we're all different. So yeah. it's how do you, you know, when it's, when, when it's working with a team, obviously there's some calls before the actual experience, but it's to understand, okay, well maybe Kobe Bryant's profile or examples from him or someone like Coco Chanel or, Maybe it is James Clear or or someone else. Like which examples? Maybe it's Claude Silver. You know, if if I'm speaking to someone that would really understand kind of the agency environment and bringing in, well, wait a second, she works at you know Vayner Media, where everyone sees hustle, 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 but she's actually the reverse of that type thing, right? Like bringing in the use cases or the narratives so that people first get, you know, I can get their attention and be like, oh, I get that. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't. I'm not a meditation instructor, yoga instructor standing in front of the room. I'm, I'm trying to bring in real practical examples. Yeah. Then we get into the questions that are, that require a little bit more thought. And again, working with, within the team and bringing usually groups of three together and thinking, well, if I think about my work, where am I playing it safe? Mm-hmm. Or like, what am I pretending not to know? And and let's mm-hmm. just list that out and let's talk that through and, and see where that can go, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we fit, mm-hmm. we always finish everything with gratitude. You know, what yeah. can we celebrate? Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a big deal. Pretending, what am I pretending not to know is a really interesting question. Um, it, it probably illuminates people who are scared to speak up, scared to be in leadership positions, scared to to show that they know something for fear of being judged and everything like that. You know, it's, it's really fascinating yeah. when you think about human psychology in the workplace, because a lot of people, some of my friends are like, no, I have great workplace environment. It's fine. Everyone's chill. And I'm like, really, are they? Because just ask a few yeah. more questions and you start to see who's holding back and who's, you know, uh, the famous thing of like Brené Brown says, that you know, you're a not productive team if you're having meetings after the meeting, you know, like how that yeah, goes. Yeah. Like that. Simple ways to just know that like, things aren't necessarily as open and as trusting and as safe as you might think that they are. Um, and that's part of yeah. being a human in the workplace, but um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so when you think about, you know, mental fitness and mental health in the workplace, you know, you're providing a service and a platform that this gets to be explored. Um, and, you know, we talked about before we hit record that, Thankfully, um, corporations and companies are coming around to the sense that it's people first and then employees, um, mm-hmm. and that we have to create environments where people feel like they have the tools and the skills to to be agile in you know the ever changing corporate function. So, how do you think about mental fitness these days in companies? Do you feel like it's being well received? Do you think that people are seeking out ways to train their teams and you know? Um, what do you kind of see in that in that space of mental health in the corporate world? I think it's a bit of a of a mix. I mean, I see I see companies like Google where I remember I did a, a talk with them and there was just zero discussion of business. It was purely related to slowly coming back to the office and right. you know how everyone's at different levels there and like what are what are some practices individually practices individually that people can you know. Uh, try out to help um, manage those thoughts and emotions, for example. So that's super encouraging to see. But I mean, I, I don't think that's the norm uh, yet. Um, I think there's still a lot of organizations that like a perfect example would be, oh, they pay for the gym membership, or they have a gym in the office. Right. And I mean, I worked for those companies. And it was like, oh, great. You know, they're really valuing your, your health. Um, and then when it comes to your mind, though, it's like they provide, you know, uh, benefits for a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something like that, that you kind of seek out or, or, or whatever. Like it's I feel like it's still on that level versus like what we talked about, a lot of the preventative training. Like there's so many things that that can be done. Right. And bringing people in or getting people engaged around the idea that you can do this stuff right now. Like You don't have to wait until you're burnt out to then go and call. The, the company psychologist or right. then reach out to the resource. Like, why don't we talk about the fact that if you're providing 
gym services or things like that. Well, your mind is the thing that's making the decision whether to go to the gym or not. Right? So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but I think it should really, I think everything starts and stops with our, with our minds. Um, so yeah. if we're going to put a focus somewhere, it should be, you know, start there and then see what people need individually. I think that's yeah. the other big thing. Yeah. Cause I get this all the time on the, on the mental fitness side of things, you know, okay. So what would be, what would be a great schedule or ritual for, for people to deploy every day from a mental fitness perspective? And I mean, I can definitely, you know, rhyme off some practices and a nice flow, but that flow works for me and it's yeah. been evolved for yeah. 12 years. Yeah. Right. So it's, again, I think we need to take some time to help people find the things that will work for them. And I mean, just immediately for people listening, one question you can ask is what are the activities? What are five to 10 activities that I know put a smile on my face immediately? Mm -hmm. And that could be exercise that could be taking a walk. I mean, it's different for everyone, but just have that list. And then the next step is to look in your calendar and see how many times per week you have those activities scheduled in, right? Yeah. Just, just starting there, simple yeah. as that, yeah. immediately, you know, have, have huge, huge benefits. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's happening yet on, uh, I think organizations are trying and they, they want to be there, but it's still very much uh, in the reaction kind of mode of things. Yeah. I, um, I think that, probably everyone listening here is nodding if they've been given like a gym membership or, you know, like a discount to a local restaurant when they really just want, you know, to learn how to talk to their boss during distressful times, you know? Um, yeah. And I also think too, like another level, this is a little bit of the work I do individually and with some teams, but the, the level of like, like what are my emotions here to tell me? Like I'm nervous before the meeting. Mm -hmm. What could that, what could that nervous energy be telling me? And could it, yeah. could it be actually good nervous energy? Could it be that I'm excited and stoked to present what I've worked hard on? Or is it like, I'm not prepared nervous energy. And so the idea of mental fitness within the realm of like, you know, tactical day-to-day -day operations, but also like, you know, what are, you know, emotions are just data. They're just here to mm -hmm. give us a message. It's our job to decode them and figure out what they mean. And I think that that's like a radical thing. And some of the work I did at Parsley, everyone initially thought I was a bit crazy, but then they're like, oh, this is helpful. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm escalating every single minute I talk about what beautiful message my anger could have, you know, like there's, there's, yeah. there's an intelligence there that goes far beyond, um, you know, swag bag or like a yoga mat. <laughs> yeah. And I also think too, that like, I don't know if you feel this way, having worked in companies is like. I feel like if employees feel that they're developed and nurtured and there's a safe space for them to evolve as humans, like they will run through a wall for you and no amount of like gym membership perks will ever trump that. It will never, and, and they will be yeah. like biggest fan when they leave that company. And I think that like, that's really, I think the, the, the new frontier of HR and people teams and also like the, the development of people in the workplace is like developing the spirit of the human. Um, and, and doing that on a consistent basis is, I don't know, it seems radical. Yeah. But like also like, what are we doing? Like we're not, we're not metric machines, you know, <laughs> we're humans. Totally. First. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel that. And I've, I've had those comments come back before where, where uh, I've done some work for, for a team and, and the comment back is that they felt like, I think, wow, they, they actually care about us. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. think like a good example, someone like just since she's a mutual contact and she was on your first season, but, Claude, right? Claude Silver's like yeah. that. I mean, she's has a massive team of probably close to a thousand people at this point, but you know, does her best to actually be there one to one for people. And you can, I've been on the calls with her and some of her team. Like, you can feel there's a there's an energy there yeah. when people know that you know the team has your back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's palpable. It's it's obvious when leaders love to lead, and it's obvious when they know what they're doing in that space. You know, so yeah, um, it's so cool. So <clears throat> sorry, coughing still from uh my sickness. Um, yeah. So I have two more questions for you. So the sure. first question is, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about what you're unlearning these days in some capacities. I'm curious if there's anything. Um, that you'd like to add to that is there anything else that you're unlearning these days and unpacking and sort of like shifting your perspective on even by a couple degrees that's helping you show up in this this chapter of your life 
You know, I think what what comes to mind because I mean I'm I'm going through my uh, end of year reflection and getting ready for for New Year and so forth. Um, and what 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 comes to mind are reminders because uh, it's not unlearning or new things, but it's more so. Uh, you know, just reprioritizing my own goals and objectives to put number one is my health, right? And 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 not not just the link of of being healthy. I mean, I exercise and and eat you know fairly well, um, but really tying the the what I'm calling like a longevity protocol or a recovery protocol to the spinning and the running and the weights and, the, and all of this and making sure that's a priority, you know, versus just, okay, you know, it's been a while since having a massage or something like that, or a deep tissue kind of like releasing, you know, strain from whatever snowboarding or mountain biking, like those things I often just push off, for example. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm like almost pretending not to know that they're important um, because I'm, I'm, doing the biking, right? Like I'm getting the exercise in. So I, it was, it's interesting because I, I was just looking for and, and putting that in the center of, of the, I guess, the the importance factors for, for the year to come. Because like you said, I mean, if I get injured or I'm hurt, it's not just that I can't mountain bike or go snowboarding or, or whatever. It's that I know that those activities put my mind in the most uh, in the highest performing state. So again, it's just, I, I know these things, but I'm like, I'm human like the rest of the world and get wrapped up with, um, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm probably doing above average when it comes to, to, to health and fitness type uh, activities. So yeah, so I'm just trying to kind of re shift my own perspective and prioritization on, on just health in general and knowing that everything else flows from there. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I do think I, I want to sort of echo that too as someone who like lives and, and teaches this work in some capacity too. And having been a coach for um, almost 20 years now in different realms, it's like like you're, you're never not coaching yourself. You're never not waking up every day and doing the work and applying it. And like yeah. people often think they're like, oh, you're probably so great. You have XPC. I'm like, like there's a reason why people get in this field and there's a reason why they do this work because it, they, they understand um, the complexities of uh, what it takes to, to make this miracle of a body and brain work. I mean, it's kind of a big yeah. deal. Um, I think yeah. people are really hard on themselves, but they also need to know that coaches have to remind themselves and do retros and, you know, figure out what's working and what's not all the time. It's part of it. You know, Sharon Salzberg, who's a meditative mindfulness teacher. Mm -hmm. she said, at one point she's like, you have to be a scientist of your own experience. Yeah. You have to be a scientist of your own life experience. No one else will be. Um, so I thought that yeah. was kind of empowering. Um, well, I, I felt it recently. I'll tell you, cause I, I just, since the book's launched, I, I just started uh, uh, an email newsletter list and as people were signing up for the book and so forth. And I have a few, up, or a few editions out and I just wrote the, the next one that'll, that'll release in a couple of weeks. And I remember finishing, it was centered around the idea around that, basically there are three prompts following the Socratic method, essentially, and yeah. bigger question and, and, and diving down, just like the book. Um, and the, the last one was related to what we've been talking about on the corporate side of things, which is where am I playing it safe? And But it was framed from a personal perspective. And then I, I, I followed up with the prompts to help really identify and shift out of there. And I remember when I, you know, saved the draft in MailChimp, I've answered those questions, obviously, and put those together in the past. But I'm like, I need to actually answer that whole series of questions again myself. I mean, I can yeah. find, you yeah. forget though, right? When you're in it, you just, yeah, you do. you've do, you've done it at one point, but it's, it, I just remember having that feeling like, oh, those questions are actually probably be pretty helpful for myself right now. Yeah. Forget sending it out to the, the list. I need to write or answer them right now. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Um, my last question to you is when you think about the concept of unlearning, you know, I don't think there's like a, I'm sure there's, there's definitions of unlearning, but everyone has their own take on it. Um, I've been traveling the last year and a half and I get into the taxi cab and I ask the guy or the woman driving, what's their definition of unlearning? And, 
Um, I ask random people in the street as we get in conversation about things, because I think it's really fascinating to hear what people say about, you know, what they feel with unlearning and what they think it actually is. And I ask every guest on the show what they believe um, unlearning is and what comes to their mind and their body when they hear the word unlearning. So I'll ask you that same question. Um, what comes up when I say unlearning? Yeah, unlearning. So there's a couple... I guess, themes that come up for me. And then there's someone uh, like a specific person that's actually in the book, Stephen Hawking, that that comes to mind uh, as a master unlearner, I, I, you could probably say. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, for me, for me, it's just being able to be honest with ourselves and let go of what we have learned and, and be open and kind enough to say, you know, maybe, maybe something's been, maybe something's evolved and be, again, I think like openness comes up, open to a different perspective, new ideas, challenges, yeah. um, and, and, and different possibilities. And the reason why Stephen Hawking comes to mind is, is just the idea of, I mean, when you think of <clears throat> physicists and just space exploration and, and everything that's been, you know, worked on over the years, a lot of his work is is taking principles and theories that were, you know, I'm using air quotes here, proven, mm -hmm. and he challenged them and came up with brand new discoveries, right? <laughs> right? So, you know, it, it makes me just think like things are never, never done or never at the end if you if you're willing to continue to be curious and ask more questions. There's always something to learn or unlearn, for example. And I think it's just, uh, you know, writing his profile and rereading it, frankly, is a good reminder to myself as well to think about, okay, well, where, where in my life can I be open to unlearn, yeah. you know, and come off the autopilot to do that. Yeah. Amazing. And I felt like as you were explaining this, and uh, I need to go back and reread that section with Stephen Hawking, but also I felt like a sort of an open sort of energy come over uh, me and just like hearing you talk about this um, with such sort of personal experience and also conviction as well. So um, thank you for coming on the School of Unlearning podcast and sharing your journey. Um, everyone listening, go check out Personal Socrates. Um, it's available where all books are. And um, I'll put information about you in the show notes, Mark. But thank you for your time, your energy, and um, your, your endless curiosity here. Oh, thank you. I mean, I was just going to say thank you for your energy and your, and most importantly, your presence. I, I felt it. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to do a lot of interviews, especially since the book launched. And this one was very different in a, in a really good way. So thank you for that. Awesome. I'm happy to uh, have this experience with you. Um, thanks again. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.